Hey there, welcome back to the Path to Zion podcast, video edition. Thank you for tuning in today. We're normally online at pathtozion.com with audio episodes. And if you're new here, every once in a while, we do come on YouTube and post some videos, generally multi-part series, um, more Bible teaching, studies, uh, just kind of a little different than just commentary um, or a 30-minute audio episode, generally anything that's of, of greater length. We try to get in video form because it just attracts a different audience. It just, a lot of people I find just put it on their TV uh, of an evening and maybe just sit and watch it where maybe there's not time to listen to an audio-only broadcast. Although these always do make it at the pathdesign.com website in audio form as well um, for you if you would prefer that way. Whatever the case, thank you for listening today, for watching for joining us in what? We're rediscovering the ancient way. We're trying to unearth things that have just not been taught to us. I'm a 47-year-old man who's, for the most part, been in the church my whole life, Baptist background, and kind of made my way through every flavor and facet of American Christianity over those 47 years. And here I am today, about a year ago, a little over a year ago now, the Lord really began to draw me back to an ancient way, reality, understanding, if you will, um, of, of, of the identity of a people that Yahweh himself birthed and desires to perpetually set in motion his laws, his ways, his festivals, his feasts, his Sabbath for a marked, distinct, holy people that never ended and will never end. It, it is, a, as I already said and, and always talk about, is a perpetual, ongoing family of God. Um, a nation, an identifiable nation of people. God's chosen people is royal priesthood. It's a, it is a pattern in the Bible from Old Testament to New. As I'm always saying, there is no divide where all of a sudden the church appeared in the book of Acts and the church started. No, the church never started in a New Testament post-cross, post-Yeshua Jesus reality. It was already established firmly in God's set-apart people. We don't have time to get into all that today. Man, I don't even have time to get into the introduction. The introduction alone to this is three pages. I'm going to try to get it as condensed as I can without any addition of, of extra commentary, although I don't want to just sit here and read it, but it's very possible I will have to do so to keep bringing myself back in to be focused on what we're going to talk about. Now, I titled this series, I have no idea how many parts it will be, but I titled it Inhabitants Who Were Meant to Sojourn. Inhabitants Who Were Meant to Sojourn, A Call to Come Out. Now, this is for the church. This is for the capital C church. If you call yourself a Christian, again, we have, we have listeners, viewers all across the world we, in, 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 in many different countries. Now, we don't have millions of listeners. I'm not trying to portray that. But we have listeners that are outside of the United States, and so I understand that. But for the most part, the bulk of my audience is going to be Christian Evangelical Americans. Now, that is a broad category that we don't have time to really examine and say, well, is that you? Is that who you are? Is that how you identify? <laughs> and, and even that is part of the problem of the whole. 
But what I want to talk about today, again, just to make this point clear, it, it, this introductory stage, if you will, is again the title and the theme of what this is going to be over the next several parts yet to be determined. Inhabitants who were meant to sojourn, a call to come out. And this message, as I often say in the audio podcast, is going to be primarily to the Christian American majority. Now, the Christian American majority is made up of a lot of interesting parts that don't agree on many things. You've got this sect here and this sect here and this sect here. They don't agree on holidays. They don't agree on doctrines. They don't agree on how the church should gather. They don't agree on the function of the Holy Spirit. They don't agree on leadership. They don't. We could spend all day talking about that. But yet, interestingly enough, the great unifier of the Christian evangelical machine is very strong, and it's this national loyalty. We're going to talk a lot over the course of this study about loyalty, um, about allegiance, about dwelling instead of sojourning. And, and what I'm going to do, and I want to preface this just a little bit, and if you are offendable towards your American identity, your patriotism, I just want to tell you, please listen, please follow along, but you will be offended. You will absolutely be offended. Hands down, sure thing, guaranteed, what I'm going to teach on this topic, although biblical and not mere opinion, is very offensive if, in fact, you are rooted and established in a national kingdom identity and you're trying to fit the Word of God, the, the, the commands of the Father, all these things, if you're trying to cram them into this young little nation and you're really into that, this, this message will be very offensive. Um, I want to make that very clear. I'm not trying to just sneak something in the back door here. That, that, that's very clear. So some, some introductory thoughts, and, and many of these things are just questions that, that I will read because we need to just get right through these things, or we will get nowhere. This would literally be a 10-hour series if we don't keep moving. Um. I would say, and, and I'm going I'm to get into something that I think will draw your attention specifically into something very personal for me that happened just a few nights ago, but I would say, well, let's, let's just start there then. Okay, so there are a lot of prophetic words of the hour. Um, for whatever reason, I'm very drawn into that. I'm very captivated by this ongoing prophetic release upon the earth primarily in America, um, I don't know, man, years ago, 12, 13 years ago, I was really into the prophetic movement. I went to prophetic seminars, conferences, um, tent events. Um, I met a lot of these men and tried to engage with them. Some I did, some, you know, were too untouchable and, you know, outside of just giving you a generic word from the Lord, there was really not much there. Um, and so I kind of, along my journey, I passed through the, the land of the prophetic for years. Um, the Lord really taught me some things and, and established some things in me about some of my own personal callings, giftings, functions. Um, but for whatever reason, I, I never found a home there, primarily because what I saw were so many people who followed the prophetic utterances of the hour are always tossed to and fro 
and very prone to see things through a natural, carnal, emotional um, condition where we have to hear a favorable word of the Lord because everything out here is so bad. Everything out here is so awful and so potentially detrimental for me. We need the word of the Lord to come and continually bring me good tidings. Bring me something good, God, because what? <laughs> That's the word of the of the evangelical patriotic prophet is favor, advancement, blessing, good, 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 always coming to America. So this is this is something that will challenge that. Um, and, and I said this in, a, in an episode the other day. I said, is there anyone who's bringing a prophetic word that is not favorable and advantageous for a Christian America? I have, I said this in the episode maybe two or three days ago. I look through the internet. I scour the internet, internet trying to find anyone like myself who, who, or, or someone who's like a true prophetic voice. I can't find anything for the most part where a Christian who lives in America, a true believer is saying, you know what? Things are not going to go well for the church here. Her trajectory is judgment. And in a way, yes and amen. Like we, not they, and not myself, like I'm excluded, I'm above this. But I say we as a corporate body, we must have correction. We must have judgment come to our own doors, to our own hearts. Not more blessing, not more favor, not more ease and comforts. And that's the thing that I really wrestle with. And I'm going to get to in just a moment why I'm even bringing this up um, on here. Because as I, as I listen to these prophets of the hour, I can only take them in small doses because it's such, to me, it's just such foolishness and emotionalism catering to the needs of the hour and the fears of the Christian Americans. They're so afraid. Don't take our liberties. Don't take our guns. Don't take this. No, no, no. We're so afraid, if we were just honest. Much of Christian America is afraid and terrified of losing her liberties and freedoms. We have to have them. Our forefathers said so. <laughs> we're going to tackle that. That the prophetic words of the hour, oh, the tickling of the ear is strong. And I'm seeing the elect ones that I've personally known in my life, in my past and in my present, really taking the bait. Yes, God surely wants four more years of favor here. Why? <laughs> Which is so funny. So that we can repent more. So that we can come back to the ways of Yahweh God more. Now, of course that... Oh, if we'll do that, then yes. If we would do that, then yes and amen. But the pattern of this nation, friends, is not so. The fruit of this nation as of right now is this uprising of we demand justice on the evil, vile liars. Not us. Not us. We deserve favor, blessing, honor. Why? Well, we're America. Don't you know where we live? We're Christian Americans, you know. <laughs> and I, what I'm saying and what I'm going to bring about, and I'm going to use Bible text after Bible text in this teaching series to say that I don't think the Christian American church will ever be prepared to present herself as a bride made ready 
until she experiences persecution and not blessing. Until she's brought low. Until she is brought down to her knees to a place of absolute, utter dependence where she herself, free from liberties, free from freedoms, free from what is really bondage, and she doesn't even know it, until those things are removed and all the comforts and all of the glamour and all of the entertainments and all of the fluff of this Babylonian nation is removed, I don't think she's going to turn. I don't think she's going to repent. Now, we can pray for that. I do pray for that. I'm not... I'm not I'm not divorcing the two. They can synonymously be together, but what I'm saying is we have to be fair and right and bent towards the perspective of the Father bringing about His purposes in His people, if in fact we are His people now. Why? So that all these things that are prophesied, even by Yeshua Messiah Himself, can be fulfilled and therefore prepare us to be a bride made ready so that what? so that he can come receive his reward. I would say, in our fight, in our pushback, in our demanding of our rights, in our comforts and our blessings, we are in fact prohibiting Yeshua receiving his reward because we're not being purified, we're not being tried. We demand comforts because we're Christian Americans. We're gonna, man, we're gonna hit that hard over the next however many parts of this series, in this study, inhabitants who were meant to sojourn. A call to come out. Okay, so, so the reason that I'm actually doing this, and I mean doing this by an actual recording, because this, this becomes redundant. If you listen to this program at, at pathtozion.com and you're familiar with kind of the theme of what we talk about here, the, the purpose and calling of my life, present day, presently, right now, is to be one who, who kind of constantly assesses the condition of the church as I ongoing con, uh, address the condition of my heart. Of course, first and foremost, I say start in the mirror. But this body that I am a member of, a member within, I feel like I have a voice to address her because I am within her. I am an arm who sees a fatal wound on another arm and I'm saying, brothers, this is not okay. This is not fine. Now, everybody's saying a favorable word. They're looking at that huge wound on your arm and saying, it's okay. Don't look at that. God is good. Don't look at that fatal wound. Don't look at it. Don't think about it. God is good all the time. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And I'm saying, we are gushing lifeblood, friends. Someone has to say something that is not advantageous for the church. Someone has to bring a hard word. I'm more than willing to do it, but I've been restrained lately. If you listen to the audio podcast, I've said for the last four, uh, four five, maybe six weeks that there are these things right here, but the Lord has not given me a green light, if you will, to speak upon this specifically, towards this. Well, I got the green light. This was on December the 10th, just mere days ago, 3.30 in the morning. I was half asleep, half awake, and kind of stirring in the middle of the night. And I thought I heard my wife crying. Not a real cry, and this is significant in measure, but I felt like, I felt like she was kind of whimpering. It didn't feel like a real cry, but like a whimper. Almost like when your child is like fake crying, you have children, you know what that sounds like. 
And so I felt like I heard this whimpering from my wife. So I, it woke me up a little bit more and I am listening to her and I realized, no, she's asleep. I, I didn't hear that. And I heard very clearly now, if we're going to be honest, right, if, if the prophets of the hour are going to look into the camera and say, I heard the word of the Lord. And this is what he said. And then the cue, the serious voice and the, the deep prophetic utterance. <laughs> Can we just be real men like real people, please? Talking like real human beings. Isaiah 58 is what I heard. Isaiah chapter 58. So I started to read it. Again, in my hesitancy for weeks now, over a month, of being really transparent and really aggressively addressing what I see is the condition of the evangelical Christian American church, which again covers so many facets of Christianity. It's huge. It's a wide way, and that's what really concerns me. So again, on the night of the 10th, the morning of the 10th, at 3.30 in the morning, excuse me, I heard Isaiah chapter 58. So I'm going to read some of that. And again, in light of me having this stuff and holding back and waiting for the Lord to say yes or no. Cry out loudly. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a shofar trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression and to the house of Jacob their sin. Yet they seek me day, and day by day and delight to know my ways as a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God, they ask me for just decisions. Sounds familiar. They delight in the nearness of God. Why have we fasted and you didn't see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you did not notice? Behold, on the day of your fast, you find your desire and you drive hard all your workers. Behold, you fast for contention. You fast for strife. You fast to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast like this which I choose a day for a man to humble himself, to bow one's head like a reed, and for spreading out sackcloth and ashes as a bed? Now this goes on talking about fa uh, fasting, loosening the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of, of the yoke, to let oppressed go free, to break yokes. But for the sake of time, we can't read the whole thing. But when you do these things, when you help others, when you don't hide yourself from your own flesh, when you don't hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light will break out like the dawn and your recovery will speedily spring forth and your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will then be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from your midst, let's just pause. This is going to take some time. To me, when I heard the whimpering cry of what I thought was my wife, and I knew it wasn't like a real cry, I didn't understand. Again, I'm half asleep. This is real life. The room wasn't filled with smoke and little chimes dinging. This is real life. I didn't understand what was going on until I read this text. Because what this is saying is you're crying out. You're making a bunch of noise. You're doing things. But when you call out and cry out like this, okay, when you are doing these certain prerequisite things, and then when you call out 
and remove the yoke from your own midst and go on in verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 58. If you remove the yoke from your own midst and if you remove the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness. Then your gloom will become like midday. Then the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places, giving strength to your bones like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those from among you will rebuild ancient ruins. You will raise up age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of the streets in which to dwell. So three nights ago at 3.30 in the morning, I heard what I thought was a whimpering sound. I go to this chapter when I heard the words Isaiah chapter 58 and I read it. And I felt like the whimpering is what the Christian evangelical American church is doing right now. She's whimpering like a little child who wants attention, who wants help, who wants out of what she's in, the predicament she's in. <laughs> Come help us, help. But it's not a heart cry. It's not a heart cry. Now, I'm not saying that that's not anywhere. I'm not saying that there aren't pockets of true, genuine repentance crying out on this earth or even in this nation. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is I see this vast majority with the rhetoric and the verbiage, but not the heart. I don't, I don't see the heart. I don't feel the heart in my prayers and my asking the Father of what's true, what's right, and what's real. And when I got to this part towards the end, or the middle, rather, of chapter 58 in Isaiah, if you give yourself to the hungry, if you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, where'd it go? If you remove the yoke from your own midst and the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, I'm telling you, if there is anything the Christian American church here in December of 2020 does is she points the finger. I say that in almost every episode when we address the condition of the American church. Stop pointing the finger at everybody and point it on ourselves. Look at ourselves, please. And so... That's why I'm bringing this today. I've gotten nowhere. We've got to move. In the present, and I have a lot of questions. Again, we're going to set the table for the study. I'm going to tell you, of course, the primary text we're going to look at in the study. That is going to be the meat of this. This is just me trying to set a table of why we're even doing this. To draw anyone in who might be interested to actually listen and hear a differing opinion that's maybe not so tickling to our ears. Might sting a little bit. It will hurt. Is the present-day church exchanging the ambassadorship of the unseen, unshakable kingdom in order to merely function as political activists that promote natural kingdoms and comforts? I'm going to have to read all these ten times to get them into our thinking. Are we exchanging the ambassadorship that we are called to do and to be and to establish? We are called to say and to live out on earth as it is in heaven. And that is real, legitimate, on terra firma, earth, yes. But are we trying instead to do that by becoming these Christian American patriots who are nothing more than political activists trying to promote natural kingdom functions 
based on biblical principles. It cannot work. It's not working. It's not. Could it be possible that the major motivation of the Broadway evangelical church, steeped in the political drama of this hour, which is just exhausting, could it be that they must fight to the death to preserve their Christian American heritage more so than guarding and establishing Yahweh's ancient ways? I have had a world opened up to me in the last couple months when I started looking into like the beginning of the religious right, of the moral majority, of how that started. Because I started asking some questions. When did this, when did Christians become so political? When did they become so neck deep, eyeball deep, underwater, infatuated with, with politics? Well, it's very new. Like... <laughs> Pre-1950s, most Christians weren't even involved in the political system. They said, this has nothing to do with us. We don't want anything to do with that. Y'all go ahead. Well, all these things happened, starting with certain individuals I'm not even going to name because that's a whole other issue, where the Christian church, the evangelical church said, huh, we can get our ways established if we begin to vote. If we begin to become patriots, guess what? We can get some real favorable things. And those in charge who were in charge then and in charge now said, hey, we're going to be some puppet masters of the evangelical church and we're going to get some things done. And we're going to pull some strings, some heart strings, abortion. Don't even get me started. The church is, is very naive. The church is very naive. If we remove the Christian American patriotic narrative, what remains as the identity of the majority Christian churchgoer? The evangelical. So in other words, if you remove guns and physical Bibles and church attendance, VBS, trunk or treat, what do we have? If you can't have your if you can't have a bald eagle on an American flag with a Bible underneath it and you take all those things away, I'm very concerned about the identity of a Christian American. I'm very concerned if the constitution is assaulted, how they'll fare. This year has proven that to be true. This year has proven that that should be a major concern for us who are in the corporate church. Man, the, the, the Christian American church has gone into full-blown panic mode. Fear. Oh, no. They're coming for us. Everything's going to be taken away. We must at every possible cost, at all costs, stop this assault upon our identity. Why? Because we have a national identity and not an eternal kingdom identity. We're going to talk about that in great measure. It concerns me that the greatest unifier of the Christian American majority has become politics. Again, as I started this off, this episode specifically, you've got people who hate one another. I mean, you don't even know God. No, you don't know God. Uh-oh. We might lose our Christian patriotic freedoms. We're together. And now, now if you're not careful, that can masquerade as unity. But brother, it's, whoa. This is not unity if, if, if we come in on the ground level of, of whether or not you wear a red hat. That's not unity. <laughs> That's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about unity. 
We need to be clear. We don't come together according to Yeshua, Jesus, or Torah, God's law, God's established commandments. Not the gathering of the body, not charity, not loving your brother and preferring others. But politics, we're in. Hmm, it's really intriguing to me. Are Christian Americans trying to avoid Yeshua's prophesied promises? We're told that in this life we're going to have trials, tribulations, we're going to have all these birth pangs. And I, I, I have said this with great regularity this calendar year. I feel like in a lot of ways we're fighting those off. We're saying, no, 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 no. We're not appointed to wrath, especially us. We say we, Christian America, we're, we're, we're good. We are exempt somehow. The rhetoric, the verbiage, a lot of understanding is just so off and so just unbiblical, unbiblical, frankly. We don't even think we're supposed to really endure anything. It concerns me. And so here's the kind of the culmination question, and we're going to really start to to establish the biblical point and, and position that I want to just put on the table before you for consideration. And you may not like it. It's okay. This isn't about what we like. This isn't about what we prefer. This has nothing to do with what we prefer. This is about God's ordained kingdom government and function. Period. His ways, not mine. Not yours either. Is it at least possible that we've become dwellers of nations and kingdoms of men when we were commanded to be sojourners, travelers, vagabonds, and aliens. And friends, that is something that we are going to really tackle hard and heavy. And it's going to take us some time. I'm going to read that again because that's really the crux of the matter as, as we title this series, Inhabitants Who Were Meant to Sojourn, A Call to Come Out. Many people think they've come out. Many people are convinced they're out-out. Friends, we're not. We're not out. We're not out. Now, we are being given an invitation right now. I always talk about the, 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 the experience, the event that took place in Sodom, where the messengers of, of Yahweh, probably Yeshua himself, in, in pre-existent form, removes, um, removes Lot and his family out by why in the world? I mean, this is just how God is. He desires none to perish. And delivers them and says, go out, go, 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 get out of here, keep going. And what's he say? The very first thing, excuse me, I have a question. Can we go down there instead? Go, whatever. You, you stubborn, obstinate people. And we're the same. We're the same as he is, was, Lot. We're the same. We're even delivered from God outside of the city gates. We're preserved. Our lives are literally delivered and then we have the audacity to say, eh, I don't really want to go up to those hills. Eh, I, don't want, I don't want to go up there. Can we go over here? And Yahweh God says, you know what? Go. Just go. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy. And I don't want to be part of a church who has been delivered out of so many things, spiritually and physically, natural and spiritual. And we just stop and we say, you know what? <laughs> We're God's people. Everybody wants to be like us. Hogwash. We are supposed to keep going. We're supposed to hear the word of the Lord and say, we're going. We will go where you say go. I don't want to stay anywhere where you don't want me to stay. There's a reason. I don't care if I want to stay or not. It's irrelevant. I'm going out. So this is a call to come out and to continue to go out and to go out even more. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2, Yahweh speaks to a man named Abram, 
who he decided, I'm starting over, I'm cleaning the slate, I'm done with all these people, rebellious, idolatrous people, I'm choosing this faith-filled man, I'm starting over. So at the beginning of that, at the outset of that, in Genesis chapter 12, Yahweh speaks to Abram and he says, Go from your country, go from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You shall be a blessing. We know this text and I don't have time to read it because you already know it, so we'll hop it a little bit. But when you go, in your going, as you go and after you go, I will show you the land. I will tell you where to go. Your job, your task, your calling is to just go. Be a goer, be a sojourner, be a traveler, be a mover. Praise the Father, Abraham was obedient. Leave your country and all that you know, and then Yahweh will make us a great nation. Yahweh will make one, one man, one individual, a nation after he obeys, leaving everything he knows. Yeshua, our forerunner example, he had nowhere to lay his head. We have to get that through our mind because I do equally understand running even right alongside this is I understand the governmental order of Yahweh God to be established here and now. I understand spiritual principles. I understand, in measure, spiritual warfare. I understand territory. I understand what I like to call that I heard a couple years back by a, a really awesome teacher, G. Um, cosmic geography. Now that's not some weird hoodoo word. Cosmic geography means Yahweh God says, I want to place my name upon terra firma. I want to establish through humanity a dwelling place. Now he did that. We don't want to, we're not going to get into Jerusalem necessarily and like we will in measure, we have to. But like there is a not yet and there is a yes and amen now. But we have to understand it cannot come forced and crammed into natural kingdoms of men ruled and reigned by, man, crooked, crooked, it's wickedness. It's wicked vileness in all of the governments of men. Wicked, vile. I would argue that point to anyone who would challenge me on that, but don't get me started. Psalm chapter 4, verse 8. Yahweh makes me to dwell in safe, safety. Another version would say, live securely. Now these things, I'm, why am I saying this? We're just establishing some, some baseline principles. This is not dependent upon conditions. I talk about this all the time when Paul and Silas were in the prison and they were praising the Father at the midnight hour and they're just releasing the, their heart, the joy that, that could not be suppressed or beaten out of them. What were they doing? They were establishing what we just talked about. They were establishing... A, a sanctuary, a tabernacle, because of the indwelling within them that where they stood was holy ground. We are going to worship the Lord. Now, people like us, me, I don't know that I would praise the Lord too much in that circumstance. I might be grumbling. I might be fussing. I might be boo-hooing over in the corner. This isn't fair. Well, that's kind of Christian American thinking that I will take on as a responsibility if that's part of, part of my problem. I would probably be a grumbler. However, Shaul and Silas, they were praising the Father. Now, why would they do that? Because of established truth 
You make me dwell in safety. You, Yahweh God, make me live securely. My, my world is not shakable because it's not condition-based. It's not about what's out here. It's about what is in here. And I think the church of this hour, I know the church of this hour has got to get this reality through her mind. That this is about an inward reality affecting what is right here around us. We're trying to affect and change everything out here without any addressing of this first. So that when the shaking came and their shackles were broken and they could have run free and we read that text and we say, why didn't they leave? I've said this for years and this is so powerful to me every time I say it and it comes up in my mind. They didn't run because they were already free. They were already free. They were free when they were bound to the floor. They were free when they were bound to another um, a, a prison guard. They were free when they were chained. They were free already. They didn't need set free. They were not living within the bounds and confines of a natural environment and circumstance. It would do us great good to practice this. I think, and that's the light at the end of the tunnel of this, we're being given right now as 2020 is getting ready to close the door and whatever in the world is, is in front of us in just mere weeks, we have been, are being given, and will be given in great me greater measure, I believe, a greater opportunity to practice being spiritual men who aren't so tossed to and fro by all the changing, ever-changing conditions of this world, of this nation, so shakable. Until the church is humbled to go down to her knees, I believe the press will continue to come in increasing, in increasing measure. I just said that. It has to. It has to be, the pressure has to be cramped, clamped down tighter and tighter, or we're not going to change. We're not. Until the church is ready to truly come out from among the kingdoms of men, patriotic Christian America, and surrendered to the sovereign hand of the Father, and is then thereby delivered by Yahweh, she will be enslaved here. She will be enslaved and not even know it. She will be declaring out of her mouth, deception, deception, deception. The Isaiah 58, pointing of the finger, pointing of the finger, pointing of the finger. And she herself is behind a veil and doesn't even know it. Her ears are, have this weird, tainted, tickling filter that will not allow truth because the truth hurts, the truth the truth scares me. The truth threatens me. I can't have it. I need a favorable word. And guess what? From every possible corner of Christian evangelical America comes the sweet tasting favorable word of the prophets. Change is coming. Good things are coming. The stock market's coming back. Your 401k is going up. Home sales are going up. Masks are going to go away. Bad, bad masks. Good things are coming for us. Pray. Pray real hard. Don't let the bad guys in the back door. Pray hard enough and good things will come. They have to. And then they close the, they turn the cameras off and inside if they were honest, oh man, I hope this is true. I hope this is true. I hope this is true because I'm terrified that if my Christian liberties are taken, I will fall to pieces think the church needs to hear a harsh word that says just that. Identity, loyalties. They're being shaken and they're going to be shaken in greater measure in days to come. 
First Peter chapter 1 says, Be holy and set apart in all of your behavior. All. Not all but in your politics. Not all but in your national identity. Not all. No exceptions. In all your behavior, be consecrated, holy, set apart, distinct. Called out, set apart in everything. Exodus chapter 34, I, I spent some time in that. I don't have time to go into all of it. It talks about how dependence upon any other, every other source, is really boils down to idolatry. Dependence upon any other thing, idolatry. In verse 12, we'll read that one. Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you're going. Okay? No covenant in the land which you're going. Well, that was for the... No. This is for the people of God now. Why? Paraphrased. Or else it will become a snare in your midst. Don't be, in, don't be ensnared by making a covenant in, with alongside joining yourself with the inhabitants of the land that you are called to sojourn into and through. Man, we're gonna, this is going to become crystal clear when we get to the heart of the text, which we're not even near yet. Okay, so I'm going to, I'm going to share this, and then we're going to be done for the introduction. Um, Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 11. Solomon continued to receive blessing because of his father David. We know that, that man, Solomon was so wise and like the things that Solomon accomplished, any man can rightfully sit back and be like, wow, whoa, how in the world could any man see the things that he saw on the heels of his father David? I mean, wow, what a, what a descendant and, and what a lineage, right? But it didn't end well for Solomon. We know that. If any of us know any of the Bible, this is just topical. Solomon continued, because Yahweh is a perfect covenantal father, because of David, his father, Solomon received blessing. But because of Solomon's abandoning of Yahweh's ways by mixing, which we're going to read and then we'll close out today, his sons received the judgment of the mixing of their father. We have to ask, is that what we're seeing today? This is where you're about to really start getting offended, if you're not already. I personally don't believe about 12 years ago, I, really, I spent a couple years looking into the founding of this nation from outside of a favorable, you know, George Washington praying underneath a tree and having an angelic visitation, which no one can confirm. And I watched videos even recently. They said, this man's crying. And he says, now I know this isn't, this can't be proven. This isn't really history, but man, it just stirs my heart. It, I don't, I don't buy it. I don't, I don't buy it. I don't even know what to bite off with that, but there, if, if we are willing, if we're willing to set aside what we prefer, the, the romanticized version of the founding of this nation, if we would set that aside and really ask the Father to like take whatever is not true, I think we would be surprised. I did that about 12 years ago. And all I found was esoteric unction, mystical God of the universe, entities, deities. A lot of things, man, that like heavy esoteric principles, Masonic, ley lines, 
why DC was built the way it was. The power within the placement of it on the earth. Man, there's so many freaky things that like we don't want to talk about. No, no, no. I've, I've tried this with endless people. No, no. George Washington was a godly man and you better back off. I'm just telling you, you don't touch those things with most Christians. You just don't. We're not allowed to go there, which is part of the problem, but I get it. It's, it's, it's going to be that way until we're brought low. It's going to be that way. But could we be seeing the same thing? I'm just posing a question. Could we be seeing reaping the mixing of our forefathers? Those who have gone before us. You do know this nation is only 200 years old. 200 years old. Have we inherited the curses of the mixing of our forefathers? Because look, when they came and they established all these religious liberties that the Christian Americans love to just stand up and hold signs and just blast all over the internet, do you realize that they said we welcome all religions, uh-oh, including Mohammedism, Islam? It's fine here in America. It's fine with us. There is a separation of church and state for that very reason, not just for Christians. They said, hey, this is the land of the free, the home of the brave. Man, anything goes. Your religion is your business. We don't care. Believe in, believe in Muhammad. Believe in Allah. It's all the same to us. I don't care. Just do the laws, mind your own business, and enjoy your religious liberties. Nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to talk about the plurality of gods, the mixing that the founding fathers said goes here in this nation. This is not something that happened three, four years ago where all of a sudden Islam is attacking America. This is ancient old in, the, in, in terms of the founding of this nation, which is young, to be clear. Our forefathers were mixed. Symbolism. All over the place in this nation. Crazy, freakish rituals in the hierarchy of this nation. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps at best, we started well. Maybe. Let's just say I'll give you that. Let's just say maybe we started well. But Solomon, when he got old, became mixed. He wavered. We've wavered. We're mixed. This nation is mixed, hands down. I'm saying it's mixed to the level that it is now because it always has been. It's a pattern. It's a pattern. We're Babylonian. We are Babylonian, Christian America. We're beginning to reap the idolatrous, idolatrous pagan mixing of our forefathers. I'm going to read this in 1 Kings of Solomon, and then we're going to be done for real. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. This is chapter 11, verses 1 through 14. Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh. Now, put on your spiritual imagery thinking caps, won't you please? Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, Hittite women. You like them all, man. From the nations of which the Lord said to the sons of Israel, quote, you shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you. They will certainly turn your heart away to follow their gods. Solomon clung to these, however, in love, rebellion, lovers, whoring. He had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned his heart away. For when Solomon 
was old. For when Solomon was old, his, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. And his heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of his father David had been. For Solomon became a follower of Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. And all these idols, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord fully. He built a high place. He did the same for his foreign wives. They burned incense. They sacrificed to their gods. And the Lord Yahweh became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. And he had commanded him specifically regarding this thing, that he was not to follow other gods, but since he did not comply with the, what the Lord had commanded. So the Lord said, Since you have done this, and you have not kept my covenants and my statutes, which I have commanded you, commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. However, I'm not going to do it in your days. And this is where I think we've got to. For the sake of your father David, I'm going to tear it from the hand of your sons. I think we're the sons. I think we're inheriting the mixing of our fathers. Yet I will not tear it away, tear away all the kingdom. I'm going to give it to one tribe, to your son. Why? Because Yahweh God is going to preserve his covenantal ways because despite all of our mixing, despite our arrogance, despite our, our rebellion, he is covenantally pure and perfect. He will do his part. But what about us? We have hundreds of thousands of wives, loyalties here. And it ends in um, verse 14 of chapter 11. Then the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon. So here's the question. Are we mixed? Christian American church, are you mixed? Are we trying to tirelessly cram eternal government order into merely natural kingdoms of men? Are we simply attempting to Christianize a pagan nation? Chew on that, won't you? Christmas, Easter, trunk or treat, everything, everything about it. Even those who have come out of that, they've come out. It's the, it's the, it's the Sodom reality. We've come out. Some of us have come out in measure. Myself, I've come out in measure, but not all the way. Are we attempting to Christianize a pagan nation? Look at the fruit, people. Look at the fruit. Burn up what I'm saying because you don't like it, but look at the fruit of this nation. Are we becoming holy? Are we becoming godly? Are we becoming a set-apart royal priesthood here? No. No, we're not. We're not. Well, I know, five, I know 5, 10, 20. I know people who are, but I'm talking about a national identity. It cannot work. We're trying to force it to work, but it will not work. Can we at least attempt to see if there are patterns within God's Word to teach us, help us, and examine us, ourselves? Okay, so what this is going to be from here on out, we're going to study the, the text about if the Lord will help us and be kind. We're going to examine Isaac redigging the wells of his father Abraham. When I read that two, maybe three weeks ago now, all of these things made it, connected, right into a biblical text to drive home this point of concern that I have for the body of Messiah right now in 2020, almost to 2021 in America, this nation I live in. Her loyalties, her identities, 
She's in love with where she lives. She wants to be an inhabitant here and not a sojourner. So my question to you that we will examine hard and heavy in the text of Isaiah digging the wells of his father is, are you an inhabitant here or are you a sojourner? Are you called to travel through and every place you put your foot is holy ground and you established all these things we'll talk about in the name of Yahweh God Most High, the Elohim of Elohims, in the path of Yeshua Messiah, the suffering servant, or are you putting down roots? Are you being a dweller? Are you being a dweller? Are you being an inhabitant when you were meant to sojourn? This is a call to come out, friends, and I know there will not be many who come. There's not going to be many. Man, we told, we're told that. We are prophesied that. Do you all realize we are prophesied of how hard it is to find this kingdom and to remain and to walk therein and to come out victorious in Messiah, not following the tickling of the ears, not being bound to the national kingdoms of men. It is not easy. Every day I ask the Father, am I in? Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? God, please be merciful, be gracious, be kind, be slow to wrath, be slow to judgment, but bring every single thing right now to me to, to critique me, to purge me, to correct me, to discipline me, to chastise me now, because that's the only way I'm getting in. Bring it now. Bring it now for my household. Pur purge us. Purify us, Father. And I'm telling you, that's the only ones getting in because the elect are being deceived. The elect right now are being deceived. They're finger pointing. And they're grumbling. And they're pointing out the evil when they are completely ignorant of all of the wickedness in their own heart. And church, if that's you, there's... There's only one hope, and that's to cry out to God, not the whimper that I heard at 3.30 in the morning on the, on the morning of the 10th when I heard Isaiah chapter 58. Not a whimper that's false, but a heart's cry that hurts. Rend your hearts and not your garments. I see so many prophets rending their garments and looking so moved and so... Rend your heart, not your garments. Church of 2020. So coming up, we're going to get to however many parts of this series. Inhabitants who are meant to sojourn, a call to come out. You've been listening to the Path to Zion podcast. Find us online at pathtozion.com 24-7. Send us an email. Podcast at gmail.com. Like us, subscribe, do all that stuff. Share this if you are willing to take it on the chin and to rise up. You know what? If this is the word of the Lord, if it's the word of the Lord, not favorable, but true, if you believe that, then consider, prayerfully consider sharing that. Please. This has got to go out. Someone's got to say something hard to the Church of America in 2020. Thank you for watching. Tune back in. I'm going to try to get these recorded as soon as possible. Amen.